So we are going to be in Colossians chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 15 tonight. The title of my message is Walk in Christ, uh, and you'll see why as soon as we read it. Um, And so I want to just give you a little bit of a recap as an introduction, because this is important information, so if you... I have forgotten this, or if you haven't been here, uh, this is this is important context for you to know why Paul is saying the things that he's saying, and he's saying them in a certain way for a specific purpose. And so the first thing I want you to remember is that the Colossian church, they were facing a threat from those who were trying to push a twisted form of Christianity that was dependent on special knowledge called Gnosticism. And when I call it a twisted form of Christianity, I want to make sure you understand that this is not actual Christianity. Okay, it's not a simple misunderstanding where they're just a little bit confused, like some of our other denominations might be. This is cultic, cult-like, false teaching. This is heresy um, of the highest order because they are ascribing false things about God to God. Okay? And so that's what, it, that's what this church is dealing with. And the pastor of the church, a man named Epaphras, who was led to Christ by Paul, probably in Ephesus, uh, he goes to Paul, he seeks him out and says, Paul, how do I deal with this? How do I, how do I counteract this false teaching in the church? And if you've read any of the letters in the New Testament, you see false teaching being a consistent problem. You see it being a consistent problem, and the the Colossian church is no different. But the the Colossian church was significant in the sense that Paul had never been there. This was not a church that Paul had planted. This was not a church that Paul had a a hand in starting. And so it started independent of Paul. They had never seen him face to face, but still Paul writes to them as a father to a son because he feels a a kind of kinship, a kind of responsibility for them. And so he wants to help their pastor, but also help them. Uh, and so there's this, this false teaching, this Gnosticism, and, and where they would come in and they would say, listen, you guys had the basic gospel preached to you, but now we're going to give you the real, the secret gospel, the higher knowledge. That's what we're going to teach you. We're going we're to bring this to you now. And ultimately it's rooted in a false Jesus. It's rooted in a false Christ. Because Gnosticism says that God is unable to come into contact with the physical realm. That everything in the physical realm, it's sinful and it pollutes everything it touches. So God does not interact with creation. That's what Gnosticism teaches. And so by extension, they would have to say that Jesus Christ could not be a man because God and man could not coexist together because that would pollute God. And so they deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So they're teaching a false Christ. And last week, we specifically looked at Paul's discussion about the things that he has and the things that we should endure for the body, right? We talked about suffering well. We talked about making sure that our doctrine is sound. We talked about those things last week. And so that's where we are. And and the reason why it's important for me to uh, give you that little bit of a recap is because our passage tonight starts with the word, therefore. And as a seminary professor once told me, whenever you're reading your Bible and you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is the therefore therefore? Always. 
Because it means that what he's about to say is built on what he has previously said. All right? This is why context is so important when you're reading your Bible. If, you're, if, if someone wrote you a love letter, you wouldn't pick it up one day and read a paragraph out of the middle and think, well, I understand their love letter, right? It's not, it's not designed to be read that way. Neither were Paul's letters to the churches. They were designed to be looked at as a whole. Okay, so let's look together today at Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, and we're going to read all the way through verse 15. This is what it says. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. All right. So like I said before, he starts off with the word therefore, so he wants them to understand. Remember, he was talking before about his ministry to the church, his burden for the church, the things he had suffered for the church, the things he wanted the church to know. And so he says, therefore, since you know about my burden for you, since you know my credentials as an apostle, since you know my desire for all of you to know Christ, I'm going to say this. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now that sounds simple enough, right? As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. The end. The letter's over, right? Paul, Paul said it all. It's all we need to know. But there is so much more involved in that. That is such a deep and profound statement. It's, that's huge. It's so simple, but it's so big. And that is one of the incredible things about when you read your Bible when you start studying God's word, there are things that you read that are very much surface level and there's nothing wrong with that. But then you start reading it more and you go, oh, wait, I see this and I see this and I see this connecting to this and this book and this passage. And you start seeing all those lines start to connect and you realize that this is so much bigger than you could have ever possibly understood. That's why I don't understand what people tell me. I don't like reading the Bible. I think the Bible is boring. People tell me that. People in church, people have been in church their whole lives tell me, I don't read the Bible, I think the Bible is boring. I'm like, well, you're not reading the same Bible that I am. So Paul starts off and he says, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord. The first thing he says right off the bat that needs to stand out to us is that they have received Christ Jesus. Remember, the Gnostics were going around saying that they have attained this high knowledge. They have accomplished this feat of understanding these things about God. And Paul says, listen, you have not accomplished a thing. You have not attained a thing. You received Jesus. You received him. He was given 
to you. As you have received Jesus, it was not taken of your own accord. The Colossian people were not running around going, boy, I sure wish that somebody would tell us about the Jewish Messiah. They weren't saying that. But all of a sudden, these two guys show up and they're like, hey guys, listen, we heard this really cool thing. We need to tell you about it. And that's how they received Jesus. And then he uses three specific things to refer to Jesus. The first thing he says is Christ. Christ. Now, you may not know this. Some of you probably do, but some of you may not. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Okay? His, Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. Christ means anointed one. Okay? It is a fancy way to say he is Messiah. Okay? So it's not like, it's not like Corey Taylor, but it'd be like if you called me Corey Associate Pastor. Okay? So make sure you understand that. Paul is first referring to Jesus as Messiah. He wants you to understand this is the grounding of your relationship with Christ, is that he is the Messiah. And then he says Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. So in calling him by his name, his earthly name, given to him by his mother, he's making sure that the Colossian believers understand that Jesus was a physical man who entered the physical realm. Okay? This is a direct shot against Gnosticism. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah, but he is a man. He is a physical man who came and dwelled with us. And when you stop and think about that, that is incredibly profound. That is incredibly profound because we cannot go to be where God is because as we've discussed before, his holiness would destroy us because we are sinful. So what does God do? God takes on human flesh and comes to be with us. He comes to be with us. Yet another way that we received Christ Jesus. He came to us. And then he refers to him as this. He says, Christ Jesus, the Lord. The Lord. Now, do you know how many times in the New Testament Jesus is referred to as Savior? Six. Six times. We use that word a lot. Don't you, want, don't you want to accept Jesus as your Savior? We talk a lot about Jesus being our Savior. And there's nothing wrong with that because we want salvation. You know how many times in the New Testament they refer to Jesus as Lord? 92. So do you think the New Testament writers were more concerned with you knowing Jesus as your Savior or Jesus as your Lord? Probably Lord, right? just based on the sheer number difference in how they use those words. Christ Jesus, the Lord. So what does it mean to say that Jesus is the Lord? Now, in earthly terms, Lord is a term of respect. It's someone who has some sort of authority, right? You see it when you, when you have like Victorian era shows or, you know, they, they had that show called Downton Abbey. I don't know if any, any of you have ever watched it, but they're like, my Lord, my Lord, like they talk like that. It's really kind of goofy. That's not the way that they're using Lord in the Bible. When they call Jesus the Lord, they are saying that this being is sovereign over all creation. There is not one square inch of anything in creation that Jesus does not say, this is mine. So right there in one sentence, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, not even a whole sentence, Paul has given us some deep theology. He's given us some stuff to really ponder. Christ Jesus, the Lord. The Lord. And so he says, take those things, that knowledge, and walk in him. And walk in him. So, 
This is really important. It is about more than just knowledge when you think about your walk with Christ. Now, don't hear me saying that knowledge is unimportant. I think one of the greatest tragedies in the American church is that people don't read. That's true of the entire American culture. People don't read anymore. It's tragic, and it's especially tragic in the church. The the Lord has blessed us with an abundance of resources that we could read and be edified by, and people say, I don't want to read. I want to watch TV. I don't want to read. I want to be on Facebook. People don't want to read anymore. So don't hear me saying knowledge is unimportant, but please hear me say this. Knowledge does not make you more of a Christian than someone who is not knowledgeable. Because here's the truth. You can't just know Jesus in a metaphysical sense. You have to live your life in accordance with his word. Just because I may know more about theology than you, and I'm not taking for granted that I do. I said I may. Just because I may know more about theology than you, that does not in and of itself make me a better Christian than you. It does not make me a more mature Christ follower than you. Because maturity in following after Christ is about significantly more than knowledge. And that is what the Gnostics didn't understand. The Gnostics wanted knowledge because it made them look better. They they didn't truly care about knowing more about Christ because here's the truth. And I tell this to the youth all the time. The longer you know Jesus, the longer you pursue Jesus Christ, the more you learn about him, the more you study your Bible, the more you realize how little you know. Is that true? My saints over here who have been believers for a long time are nodding their head emphatically because they know it's true. The more you study your scriptures, the more you learn about Jesus, the more you realize, I don't know anything. And so Paul tells us to walk in him. And so what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, the first thing he says is this. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him rooted, rooted. That's the first word he uses. He's giving us a specific kind of imagery, right? Trees, trees. When you go and see the big sequoia trees or even the big redwood trees, do you think that they have little pathetic root systems? Just, you know, little short, shallow roots that dig into the ground about that far. Why not? Because they're huge. They're going to fall over. Not only that, but how can a little root this size get enough nutrition and sustenance for a tree that big? For a tree to grow, the roots have to grow first. The roots have to grow outward and deeper in accordance with that. Where Pastor Mitch and I are from, we, we have frequent hurricanes. And one of the things about hurricanes is that you get a lot of rain and a lot of wind. And one of the other things about where we're from is that we have huge oak trees. Now, they're not super tall like the trees are here in California, but they're they're thick and they're, they're old. They've been around a long time. And when the rain comes and the ground gets really soft and then the wind starts to blow, these huge trees tip over. And so one of the things that people do when these big trees tip over, they take pictures standing in front of the root systems. And they're massive. You see a man who's six foot four standing in front of this tree and the root system is, you know, the diameter of it is four times as tall as he is. It's enormous. Rooted, you, in order to, to really grow, you have to be rooted. You have to dig down deep into Christ because a tree cannot outgrow its root system. It's never going to happen. 
And so the first thing Paul says about walking in Christ is you have to be rooted. You have to be rooted. So do you want to know how you dig more deeply into Jesus? You read his word. You study the Bible. You will never, ever, 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 ever grow as a Christian if you don't dig into the scriptures. It's never going to happen. You can post all the memes on Facebook you want. You can come to church every Sunday until you die. You're not going to grow in your walk with Christ unless you get in the word. That's how you're rooted. You have to dig down deep into Christ. Then he goes on and he says, rooted and built up in him. Rooted and built up in him. Now notice that. What are you rooted in? Jesus. What are you built up in? Jesus. There's nothing else out there for us. You're not rooted in Jesus and grown up in, you know, whatever else there is. You're rooted in Jesus and you're, and you're built up in him. He is the one you dig down deep into and you grow up with. So this is, this is the picture of us becoming more like Jesus every day. Every day. So you're rooted in him and you're built up in him. And he goes on and he says, established in the faith just as you were taught. So like I said before, there's not some higher knowledge that makes you more saved or a better Christian. You know what you need to know to be a Christian? That you're a sinner in need of a savior. And that your sin is a problem because God created you in his image. And that he sent his son to die for you, to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death, to be resurrected so that you could have forgiveness and new life. And in order to have that, submit yourself to him as your Lord. Guess what? That's all you need to be a Christian. That's it. When he says, established in the faith, just as you were taught, that's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Paul, in talking to the Corinthian church, said that certain types of knowledge puff us up. They puff us up. They make us more full of ourselves. You ever know somebody who's really smart and you could tell by the way they talk about it? They use really big words in everyday conversation for no real reason. You know, you know what I'm talking about? We all know people like that. They're puffed up. Knowledge puffs them up. Knowledge puffs them up. Their head gets big. Don't seek knowledge that puffs you up. Seek knowledge that builds you up in Christ. We do not outgrow the truth of the gospel. You don't outgrow the truth of the gospel. When Paul talks about leaving behind the milk and going toward the meat, he's not saying the gospel is the milk and the deep systematic theology is the meat. No, the gospel is the milk and the meat. But the way you understand it in your life is the milk or the meat. Does that make sense? We should never think that we don't need to hear the gospel preached and proclaimed to us because the gospel is the central point of all creation. That's what Paul was talking about back in chapter 1. The gospel is the central point of all creation. And so this idea that some Christians have, and I've had Christians tell me that. Well, why are you always talking about the gospel? I've been a Christian for 40 years. I don't need to hear the gospel anymore. Wrong. You definitely need to hear the gospel some more. The gospel is not something we move beyond. The gospel is something we are rooted in and built up in because the gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then he says, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. The reaction that we should have to our, to our salvation, to our knowledge, to our understanding should not be pride. 
It should not be, boy, I sure am smarter. I sure am good because I know Jesus. It should be thanksgiving. Because when you know Jesus Christ, you should understand that you are undeserving of Jesus Christ. And so what should occur in your heart is thankfulness. Thankfulness because Christ died for the unworthy. He gave life to those who did not deserve it. And so Paul says, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Be thankful. Be thankful. And he wants them to be, to have those those characteristics, he wants them to walk in Christ for a specific reason, and this is why. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. See to it. See to it. That's an active phrase. Christians, listen. I want you to understand something. Deception, false teaching, is sneaky. It's very sneaky. Because it takes things that are kernels of truth and it twists them just so, so that they still sound reasonable, they still sound true, but they're not. What did the serpent say to Eve in the garden? Has God really said that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? Well, no, God never said that. God never said that. But Eve apparently wasn't paying close enough attention when God spoke. And she said, oh, no, 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 we we can eat of the trees in the garden. Just not that one or we'll die. You won't die. You won't die. Just that little kernel of truth and then twist it. If you were going to counterfeit some money, right? If If you wanted to counterfeit money, You would not take a piece of yellow construction paper, cut it into a triangle, put Batman's picture in the middle, and put threes in all the corners, and then go to Walmart and say, here you go. Is that how you would counterfeit money? No, because no one would believe that. False teachers don't come in with the triangular yellow uh, uh, construction paper Batman bill. They come in with what looks to be truth, and then twist it. The Gnostics came in and said, you know how we're all sinners, right? You know how sin has polluted all of creation, right? Well, God can't interact with creation because we're all sinful and sin will corrupt God. Just enough truth to take you captive. So see to it. You have to be on guard. You have to watch out. So listen, here's what this means. Here's what this means. You can't, you can't go on your TV and watch those TBN preachers because sometimes they say stuff that sounds real nice. You can't go listen to Joel Osteen's sermons because he's got a pretty smile. You can't flee from falsehood. I don't care if 99% of what he says is right. If there's falsehood in it, run away. Turn it off, change the channel, burn the book, never look back. See to it that no one takes you captive. See to it that no one takes you captive. Because they come in 
And they bring in this false teaching and it worms its way into your head and you start going, oh, that sounds maybe right. That sounds okay. And it grabs hold of you and now you're captive. Paul uses that word on purpose. He uses the word captive on purpose because it grabs a hold of you and it will not let you go. And he talks about it like this. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Now, when I was, when I was fresh out of high school, I went to UNO, the University of New Orleans, and I took a class in philosophy. And my professor was the stereotypical philosophy professor. He wore a sweater vest every day. It was always the same color. I don't know if it was the same sweater vest, but it was always the same color. And he wore a button-down shirt, and you could see half of his shirt tail not tucked into his pants. And it was odd because the front half was different than the back half that was untucked. It was always, it was always like that. It was very strange. Uh, he always had chalk all over himself because he had a chalkboard, and he would lean against the chalkboard when he was talking to us. And... Every time I sat in his class, all I could think about was, this guy really just likes to hear the sound of his own voice. He was the stereotypical philosopher who just wanted to babble on about nonsense. Philosophy in and of itself is not a bad thing. Some of the greatest theologians have been philosophers because philosophy is literally just about thinking exploring, thinking about those things and trying to understand them. But there's a type of philosophy that you just try to be someone who's very smart and very deep. What are people? Why do they call us human beings? Why don't they call us human doings? First of all, that's just dumb and it doesn't make any sense. But that's the kind of stuff that he would say. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. See to it that you are not so enamored with thinking that you forget to actually think. As my grandfather once told me, be open-minded, but don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. Don't be taken captive by philosophy. And then he goes on and he says, an empty deceit. Things that sound good, but mean nothing. Things that sound good but mean nothing. According to human tradition. This is the big one. According to human tradition. We, we sure like to have things done the way we've always liked to have them done, don't we? When I first read that, you know what my first thought was? Man, that's the Catholic Church. Because I grew up Catholic. I, we, my, my mom left the Catholic Church when I was 11. And I thought, man, that's the Catholic Church. They love their tradition. And the longer I've been in the Baptist Church, I went, well... It's not so different. We just don't wear the fancy hat. Um, <laughs> according to human tradition, listen, here's the thing, brothers and sisters, let me, let me say this, okay? Sometimes tradition is good if tradition is based on Christ. But sometimes our tradition was once based on Christ and it's not anymore. That's the reality. And it's on us to not be taken captive by human tradition, but to be captive to Christ. If my tradition stands in the way of Christ, I'm throwing my tradition away. That's how we should respond. And he says, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now that's kind of a weird, obscure passage, right? That's kind of odd. Some translations might translate it something like according to the, the principalities of the world or something like that. Essentially, what he's saying is that all of these, 
all of these misappropriations of truth have their roots in the deception of Satan. That's all he's trying to say. That anytime you come across something that is deceptive or deceitful or this philosophy or empty tradition, human tradition or empty deceit, all of those things have their roots in Satan in the garden saying, did God really say? That's what he's saying. When you think, oh, that guy is so smart and he helps me to understand this better, you're being taken captive by the elemental spirits of the world. You're not smart. You're a captive. And he says, not, and not according to Christ. This is so important because Christ does hold us captive. So here's the truth. If you say that you're a Christian and you're not captive to Christ, you're not a Christian. I'm just going to say it straight up. If there's stuff that Jesus says in the Bible and you go, eh, I don't know about that. I'm not so super concerned. I don't like that part. I like the going to heaven stuff, but the stuff about like taking out my cross and dying, I don't like that too much. So I'm just going to put that aside and just keep the heaven part. You don't know Jesus. You have, you have surrendered yourself to a false Christ and you will die and go to hell. You surrender yourself to the biblical Jesus Christ, the son of God. That's who should hold you captive. And he goes on and he says, this is the reason why. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That is a shot directly at the Gnostics. When the Gnostics said Jesus can't be God, Paul says, wrong, big time wrong. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Jesus Christ. He says it that way on purpose because he wants you to fully understand. It's not a little bit. It's not half God. It's not three quarters God. It's all of the deity of God dwells bodily in the person of Jesus Christ. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. And that's why you should be captive to him. Because how many other people have you met that are 100% God and 100% man? That TV preacher might sure be slick. That philosophy professor might sure be smart, but they ain't 100% man, 100% God. So don't go following them off a cliff. (laughs) Submit yourself to Christ. And then he says this, and you have been filled in him. You have been filled in him. Guess what? The Holy Spirit of God dwells in you if you are a follower of Christ. Think about that for a minute. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in Christ and you have been filled in him. And these jabronis want to run around getting special knowledge. You're literally submitting yourself to falsehood and saying, oh, this whole being filled with the the spirit of God thing, I don't really care about that. That's dumb. That's, That's insane. And that's what was happening. Who is the head of all rule and authority? In him also... You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now that's a little bit strange, but here's the reality. He's writing to Gentiles. He's writing to Gentiles. And it's kind of funny to see Paul talking about them being circumcised when so many of his other letters to churches are in response to the Jewish, the Jewish crew coming in going, you have to be circumcised to be a Christian. And Paul's like, no. And here Paul is directly talking about them being circumcised, but it's not the same kind of circumcision. It's not that kind of circumcision. He is saying, in him you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh. 
So where is the sinfulness in us? It's in our flesh. And Paul is saying that in Christ, God has taken that. It no longer controls you. You are no longer compelled to follow its urges by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then he goes on, he gives us another symbol. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So first he talks about circumcision, which is a symbol. And then he talks about baptism, which is another symbol. And the symbol of baptism is meant to help you to understand that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and then rose. Just like you in baptism were dunked, held under for extra time, according to the preacher's discretion, and then raised out of the water. I'm just kidding. Pastor Mitch has never drowned anyone in the baptistry. Um, that's right. As long as you get them before the last bubble pops, you're good. Okay. You were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Who raised him from the dead. And then Paul really jumps on the whole dead thing. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So here he is back again. He's back again. You were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So not just your sins, but the fact that you are captive to them. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. How do you get life? You get life with Christ. It doesn't come separate from Jesus. You can't earn your way to it. You can't think your way to it. You were made alive together with him. And that word together is incredibly significant. It's huge. It's massive because you are made together. You are alongside Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you are joint heirs with Christ. You are with him. You are a part of his resurrection, made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What a picture. What a picture. Our sins, our transgressions, the record of debt and its legal demands. Think about it. You have this massive, picture it in your mind, just this this huge record of all the sins you've done all the hell you deserve. You've been forgiven. It was set aside. It was nailed to the cross. It was covered in his blood. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So we're back around to him looking at the elemental spirits of the world. He's here back talking about the rulers and authorities. He put them to open shame. The rulers and authorities who all along have been telling God's people, there is no Messiah, there is no hope. You are going to die apart from God. He triumphed over them. He put them to open shame. Don't submit yourself to them again. Don't surrender to false teaching again because Jesus triumphed over them and put them to open shame. 
Paul wants you to understand to walk in Christ, to walk in Christ requires you to be rooted and built up in Him. And the way that you continue walking with Christ is that you have to actively see to it that you are not taken captive by false teaching. And it happens to all of us. Pastor Mitch and I both know men who have been in the ministry for decades and have fallen to sin because they believed false things about God. Some of these men have gone back into the ministry and they are preaching false gospel because they have been taken captive. They did not see to it that they were not taken captive by anything other than Christ. Brothers and sisters, my hope and my prayer for you as your associate pastor, my heart in leading and equipping you is to walk alongside you and help you to see to it that no one takes you captive. Walk in Christ. So therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so, so thankful because you have done what we could not. You have rescued us from death. You have taken our sins and you have set them aside and nailed them to your cross, the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be captivated by Christ, that we would not be swayed by false teaching or philosophy or empty deceit, but Father, that our hearts would be saturated in Scripture to the point that falsehood does not penetrate. Father, please be with us as we go from this place, as we go into a world filled with darkness, that we would speak the truth in love to the world around us because Christ is worthy of it. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.